cliffcentral.com. But we've got lots to talk about, and um, it is brought to you by Nando's, as always, where we get to fire it up. And um, this morning is no different. I'm very pleased to see Yao Pepra. Uh, you're, looking, you're looking happy and healthy and strong, my friend. How are you? Very good, Jeff. Um, how are you? I'm good. I've actually, that shirt that you're wearing, you gave me one like that maybe six or seven years ago. I've still got it. Yeah, about six years ago, yeah. Oh, yeah, like that's that. right. All played. That's very, very nice. Very well played. So let's just tell everybody. I also saw your post. Sorry? No, I also saw your post the other day about um, your rankings in terms of podcasts. And I'm saying congratulations. Seven oh, thanks, years. Man. Who would have thanked us where you'd still be, right? <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. So Yao, just to give everybody some background, uh, Yao is yeah. by by. Um, by qualification, he's a chartered accountant. That was years ago, but he has also been a shareholder in an ad agency, which focused on below-the-line marketing. Um, he's got uh, businesses in Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, among others. In 2015, he was part of the team that set up something called the Silibona Educational Trust, and they sponsor young women from previously disadvantaged backgrounds in university attendance. He's also a member of the Board of Trustees of the St. Dunstan's Association for South African war-blinded veterans, and he is currently working um, with uh, the, the, the Western Cape, right? You're in the, in the kind of, yeah. in that space where you guys deal with a lot with Westgro, right? That's right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I is West, what is quickly on, on the business, side, on, the, on the initial thing, I don't have the, the, the business that I, the ad agency that I was part of, actually, I helped them set up some operations out there, but I don't have businesses there. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, yeah. it was it was yeah. it was kind of all under the same rubric, though. Just tell yeah, me, no, tell I me just... about about Westgro because I, I've heard this name bandied about, and sometimes they come up in the news. <clears throat> what is Westgro? Yeah. What do they actually do? So, I mean, it's, in a nutshell, it's the Western Caps Investment Promotion Agency. But we not only focus on investment; we do tourism, exports, and film promotion as well. Um, oh. Every single province has got an agency similar to ours. Uh-huh. So there'll be GGDA in Kauteng, there's ECDC in the Eastern Cape, TIKZN in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, all the provinces have got a, a, an investment promotion agency. And it's, it's really, um, it's, a, it's an arm of the government that really helps them achieve their economic growth agenda, as well as the job creation um, or job facilitation um, 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 agenda as well. So what do you do for them, Yao? Are you involved in, the, in, in the, the work that they do around overviews and risks and opportunities, or are you one of the people who makes those things happen? Yeah, so I mean, I guess I, right now I'm, I sit, I'm part of the Exco. Um, my role, so there's, as I said, there's four, four mandates that we have, tourism being one, um, exports, okay. investments, and film being the other, other four. So my role looks after exports, film, and investment promotion, as well as we've got a partnership with the Investor Stay One Stop Shop, um, or yeah, so the national part of the DTIC, which I look after as well. And then also we recently set up something called a district unit, because mm-hmm. we were finding that a lot of our investments were landing in the city of Cape Town. Right. And so how do we take the services that we offer um, to the rest of the province outside of the city of Cape Town? So the district unit is focused mainly on trying to help all the other municipalities have got great offerings, you know, how we help them realize that and how do we help them take that to market. Now, tourism, since it's part of the um, the portfolio, tourism has had a really, really tough time. I've seen this week a lot of headlines from people in the tourism business who are wailing about, and rightly, justifiably so, how lockdowns basically destroyed their business. And I know that there are hotels and there are people who are very much more involved in 
you know, travel and tourism on a, on a daily basis, things like, you know, uh, transport, um, wine farms, mm. um, places that in the Western Cape in particular rely on those international tourists and occasionally, obviously, a, a large contingent of local tourists. But these businesses have been hit probably harder than any other. Maybe the eventing business is also um, in yeah. that category. So w- what's the status at the moment? Because these guys must talk to you a lot of the time and say to you, listen, can't you help us? Because we have no way of fixing um, any of this while we still have restrictions on international travel, which uh, in in the case of South Africa is often those re- travel restrictions are imposed by international governments, not by our own government. Um, yeah. But but here, ha- have we have we seen any um, any improvements in travel and tourism since we went out of hard lockdown and people have been allowed to travel interprovincially, for example? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you, you're right. As you rightly said, I mean, and as much as lockdown. Our, our own lockdown might might have hurt quite a bit. It, we've been open for a while, and, and international international travellers have not been allowed to come, which has been that's weighed quite heavily on a lot of our industries. I mean, restaurants, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But what that's also done is it's helped people reposition their offering towards the domestic market, right? So, and it's been good though because um, right right now it also helps us realise the value of, of of our citizens, you know, because a lot of the time we're we're pitching some of our offerings to international international travelers but now with 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 um interprovincial travel being open we can actually travel locally as well tourism i must say is not my my forte so i don't want to say something that is incorrect but mm. I, i'm seeing that there is a slight pickup the, the, the damage has been has been big i mean like some of our, our our big um hotel hotel groups like i'm looking at the cape sun which is next to our offices it still remains closed and it's got a whole bunch of bedrooms you know like a lot of staff is on a fraction of their salaries that they earn so the, yeah. the bleeding is still happening but we are hoping we're hoping when when those international countries that are our source markets get vaccinated they'll feel a whole lot more confidence to allow people to travel towards us and as much as our and as much as our um vaccination drive might be a bit slower It'll help spur some of the economic growth from the, our, our international source market. So we continue to advertise to them, and also we're trying to we're trying to do new stuff. Like, for example, it would be great if we could if we could find a way for people to come in and work from here, but not like not breaking the laws. But like, say for example, they 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 still work for the companies that they're working for, but sure. they're based over here, putting money back into our economy. So I think we launched something with Airbnb um, uh, a couple of weeks ago where they provide discounts on people that stay here for more than 28 days, you know, to try and get, I mean, like if you look international, some of the big, uh, some of the countries overseas, I think Estonia was the first one to, to, to do this. They've got a nomad visa, for example, yeah. you know, which is just basically incentivizing people to come in and, and, and stay there for uh, whilst they, whilst they work. Well, I mean, if, if, if the lockdowns and, and uh, restrictions have taught us anything, it is that, it doesn't really matter where in the world you work from, and you may as well work from a place where, where it's pleasant. And the Western Cape is right, yeah. right up there in terms of like pleasant, yeah. pleasant environments. Yeah, there, you know, it's it's absolutely it absolutely is. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful, but this country as a whole, to be honest. And I know I, I get paid by the Western Cape to to punch the Western Cape, but if I look at this place, man, we live in a pretty pretty special place. I man, I travel quite a bit, and there's very few places that you have what we have. Anywhere in the world. Well, I was. We just have to acknowledge that. (laughs) Absolutely, I was talking to a friend of mine over the weekend, and um, and she was Mm -hmm. saying to me, you know, 
you've got to stop whining about these uh, these lockdowns and these restrictions because we don't have it as bad as some countries. Um, and and even if we do have it as bad as as they do, you know, imagine being in lockdown in in England, for example, where not only mm. can you not go down to the pub, which is pretty much the only thing English people do socially. But if you did, yeah. if you were allowed to, it, it's freezing outside, um, and it's only starting to get mm-hmm. warmer now. And for two days, yeah, and and it's it's just it's nowhere near as pretty as some of the parts of South mm-hmm. South Africa, where you can go on a on a little holiday, or you can take a weekend away, and because they don't have business, a lot of these places have dropped their rates, so you might be able to do mm-hmm. things that before were unaffordable to you, because the only people who could afford yeah. them were people who had foreign currency. Okay. Yeah, so exactly. I'm going to take um, the I'm going to yeah, take the uh, feedback and stop yeah. complaining. Yeah, I, and, and yeah, she's absolutely right as well. I mean, I was speaking to a mate of mine who just moved over to the Netherlands. They locked down. I think they had locked locked down at nine o'clock. Nine p.m. is yeah. is their curfew. That's yeah. great, great. I mean, like we get midnight, we're like ah, midnight. What what happens after midnight other than naughty stuff? Well, yeah. Listen, it gets messy after midnight. But what I will tell you is because I went out on Saturday night in in um, Umflanga and. The funny thing is that the people who used to drink heavily at three in the morning are now doing that yeah. at eleven. So, <laughs> in other words, they've condensed they've condensed their um, their social hours to a much more narrow window, but they're still doing the same amount of drinking yeah. and partying. It's just it's just been condensed, which, which is good for because the, I know the the, the 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 liquor industry was also quite quite mm. hard hit, um, and a lot of jobs were shared in that industry. But also, I mean, like, I guess, I mean, it's a conversation that's been been thrown around quite a lot in that we have to also look at how our, our relationship with alcohol in this country, right? Well, yes. I mean, while we're talking about that, you know, whenever Tito uh, gives us his budget, he talks about the, the sin taxes. But the other thing that he always talks mm-hmm. about is the fuel levies. And I saw a tweet yesterday from somebody uh, while I was thinking about what we were going to talk about on the show this morning, a guy called Kokezo Rezani who said, when you get 700 rands petrol now, 475 mm-hmm. rand of that goes to the government. And obviously, they're going to say it's to build roads. They're going to say it's to you know, keep infrastructure up and to make sure that there's a free flow of traffic and metro police and whatever else they say they're going to have to pay, with, pay for with that. But 700 rands petrol that you're for... 475 rand of that is going to the government, according to Kuketso. Now, mm. I have no reason to doubt that his numbers are right, but that is fairly disgusting because we've got government saying to us, oh, we want to stimulate business. We want to help yeah. people to get around. You know, if you have to catch four taxis, as many South Africans do, to get to work in the morning, mm. and the petrol price goes up, the taxis aren't taking that pressure on themselves. They pass it on to the customer. No. And yeah. someone someone who's spending more than half their salary on transport, like a yeah. domestic worker or someone who, who's who's working in like menial labor somewhere, those people are not able to fight this fight. And don't mm. tell me that government is helping anybody except themselves by making more than half the cost of every tank of petrol a tax. And that's what it is. Yeah. It's a stealth tax. Um, yeah. And then I sit there and I, I think about it. So in 2010 – they built some pretty slick roads, right? And then they got this um, yeah. company to come and put up these funny things. That these, we said, these... no, we're not paying for it. Yeah. But 
they still, it still costs money for us to build like those four lanes because my folks used to live in, in, in the West Rand and, and those four lanes made a difference, right? We travel, we travel like they're looking at the N1. Yeah. We travel those roads quite regularly, right? But nobody's paying for that. So how is that going to happen? Well. Right? So they have to find the money somewhere. This is the problem, though. I mean, I, I don't buy that argument from government because before, yeah. before they started tolling us for the 2010 World Cup, which is the only bit of pressure that government's ever had to deliver, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there are many. What they did? Well, they, I think they felt it maybe because Sepp Blatter was was unofficially our president at the time and he kicked some ass. <laughs> but the fact is, like those toll roads that were put up by Sanrel and, and Sanrel yeah. has been managed very badly. And we know that they, they haven't yeah. had the best leadership and they've given no confidence to the people of South Africa that they're actually doing what they say they'll do. Now, those roads, mm. we should be building roads anyway. If the petrol levy is as high as it is and more than half yeah. of the cost of every you know, tank of petrol is going to government. That should more than be sufficient, considering that those yeah. are the people on the roads anyway, to pay for that yeah. that road infrastructure. So don't then, on top of that, add more e tolls. And let me tell you, those e toll bills, even though they've got those cameras up and those gantries, and I think they they thumb suck that stuff out of nowhere. And also the the, the costs they've never been able to justify. Here in Gauteng, people have decided they're just not going to pay. And the government here is, is the, yeah. the Gauteng provincial government <clears throat> said we're backing the people on this one, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, no, no, I fully agree with that. You but wouldn't. Also, I mean, I you guys in the something which... you guys in the Western Cape wouldn't pay. I mean, you, you've said no, no to toll roads that every time they've even suggested it, it's been squashed yeah, yeah. immediately. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. No, no. Um, yeah, but you also mentioned something which is quite clear in terms of confidence. And I think that's one of the things we need to work on. You know, how, do we, how does government build confidence with the private sector? Because, like, I know that our topic is really about where, where we're at and stuff. And for me, the, the, the biggest... I think the biggest driver for us or the biggest way for us to grow is for government to realize that they are actually facilitators and not controllers of the economy. Yeah. You know, they should provide, they should provide, they should provide a platform where, where the private sector says, okay, cool. I'm sitting on a pile of cash. This is where I want to put it. You know, it's, it's, it saddens me when I, when I, when I engage with people who've made a ton of money here, I mean, I suppose maybe I haven't made enough money to worry about these things or have kids to worry about, but you make a ton of money here Mm. and you're sitting here saying that this place is going to the dogs, so I'm going to put it overseas. What will happen is a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because you're taking the money that you've extracted from the economy. Yeah. Instead of putting it back into the economy, you're taking it out and, and it's sitting somewhere, maybe earning you nothing, but it doesn't matter. At least your money is safe, you know? That's, yeah, so it's just, that's, that's part of the work I... that we have to do is try to convince people to, 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 to reinvest here or help them reinvest here. Well, they're, they're, we've, got to, we've got to give them good reason to do that. And first, the first thing you do sure. is, is you, you don't tell people that property is all determined by the, the, the capricious ideas of whatever government happens to be in charge. And things like expropriation without compensation are not going to bring investment running back to the country in any huge hurry. So, you know, expropriation bills, the idea that the pensions are not safe, I think that frightens people. And I think it frightens Mm. very sensible people, not scaredy cats, not people who are terrified of everything, not paranoid people, but sensible, you know, hardworking folks who have have spent their life putting away a little bit so that they don't have to be poor in old age. And now they see, they see like, you know, some government minister saying, no, no, but we can use that pension money to pay for mm-hmm. ESCOM's problems. It's not your money, government. It doesn't belong to yeah. you. You've already taxed people. Remember, that money mm-hmm. has already been taxed. You can't now yeah. take from it because those people have decided to save it somewhere. That's 
that's unacceptable. That's theft. Yeah. 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 I mean, in the one, yeah, I won't, I can't argue with that though, but I also, I mean, like, uh, you know, you've been around since 94. I've been around since 94 and since 94, I've been hearing that this place is going to the dogs. Yeah, I've no. heard that ad nauseum. Yeah. And here we are, was. My favorite thing yeah. used to be those people who would say to you, no, no, it's definitely going the way of Zimbabwe. They'd always say Zimbabwe. Like yeah. that's, that's always the most, exactly. you know, the most possibly horrible yeah. example of where you could end up. Mm. And, and I think there's, there's too many people that actually care in this place for it to go down the, the, the same path. Definitely. Touchwood, you know, I, I sit there and I, and I like we, we I, I hear so many of us complaining about where we're at and where we're going and where we're at and where we're going isn't exactly where we should be. It's and that's why people care, I guess, um, because we should be a whole lot better than we are to be gone, Garrett. No, no, I'll just put you on the main uh, screen. Don't panic. <laughs> um, yeah, where we where we where we are is is not exactly where we should be as a country. If you look at our potential, we should be so much further than than where we are. But if I look at if I look at the intervening period since 94, this country has made some serious strides. We've gone back in a lot of ways, but Listen. we've managed to build a middle class that actually fueled this economy, right? And a lot of people it. have made more money now, like families that have been in this business, made more money, more money now than they ever had before, right? We, we, have, we have, as you, you rightly point out, we've brought a, a lot of people, a couple of million people out of poverty. We have mm. built, we've built houses. We have laid mm-hmm. on running water and electricity for communities that never had that before. And we do have to take stock yeah. with, with a very reasoned approach. It mustn't be what you feel. It, it's got to be based on the numbers. And there are lots of yeah. things that have happened, particularly during, it has to be said, during the Tabo Mbeki administration. Um, we, yeah. were, we were a really impressive country for a little while there. And, and that yeah. on, on any metric that you'd like to measure, we were starting to do things right. We were starting to get the economy up and running in a really – you know, persuasive way, not only for international investment, but even for people locally to grow businesses, to do things. You know, we had lots of smart people in control for a very long time. Of course, there are things that are endemic to politics, I'm afraid, like corruption. And that wing mm-hmm. of politics seems to have grabbed with both hands for about 10 years, um, what you know, Cyril is called yeah. the 10 wasted years. But But obviously, the whole world is a different place now. And I think everybody's kind of rebuilding and some people are going to get it right faster and other people are going to, with bad ideology and bad intention, they're going to stand in the way. Now, let's just turn our attention, since the burning platform often ends up being about politics, let's turn our <laughs> attention to to where the there's, there's, a, there's a, an ongoing problem. And I think that the fact that government have to be taken to court so much of the time in order to be forced to do the right thing is a real waste. It's a real waste of South Africa's money and resources to be compelling yeah. ministers, to be compelling departments, to be compelling the people who spend the money to do their jobs. And just this week, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to the hard work of uh, NGOs like Afri Forum, ivermectin has been made available to doctors to yeah. prescribe to their patients. Now, how government thinks it needs to be involved in whether or not a doctor decides what's right for a patient or not is bizarre. Yeah. The, the, the government yeah. does not know anything about our medical records to the degree no. that our own physicians and, and, and general practitioners do. And the fact that they had to be taken to court and compelled to allow people yeah. 
to prescribe this to their own patients is ludicrous. Mm-hmm. I mean, to see the DA yeah. this week is approaching the South African Human Rights Commission to launch an investigation into what it's called the government's tardy and criminally slow vaccine rollout strategy. Now, we know yeah. the DA is looking for political points here. You know, we've got some elections mm-hmm. coming up around the corner. So, obviously... But they're not wrong, though, because, like, if you look at... Sorry, Gareth, to break no, the no, word, but, no. like, if you look at where we are as a country, like, right now, the most important thing for us is to make sure the majority of us are vaccinated or immune or... Not immune, but like have a, a very a much lower um, uh, reaction to this to this virus, and that's what's holding us uh, holding us back. So that we have to try and be faster. I mean, like I read a post the other day, a tweet that it's going to take us more than ten years mm-hmm. to vaccinate seventy five percent of our population. Uh, unacceptable. I mean, that's that is crazy, and it's just it is criminally slow. So I'm with the DA on this, and we know that they're getting political points, but it's part of their job mm. to do this. So I don't hold it against them. Yeah. The health spokesperson, no. Siviwe Wadrube, said that uh, South Africa began its vaccine rollout exactly seven weeks ago with the Johnson & Johnson uh, Sisonke trial. Apparently, mm-hmm. <laughs> to date, just over 269,000 healthcare yeah. workers have been vaccinated. Um, it's a yeah. fraction of the target that had been downgraded to 600,000 from just over 1 million. Now, mm. I don't know whether... South Africans are just willfully ignorant about stuff like this or whether it's much more fun to us, for, for us to get involved in some cultural racial bullshit story about a person who wears a Nebele outfit to the Boulders shopping center. But that seems to be the yeah. stuff that gets the headlines. You don't see this in the headlines. And it's to me, that's also mm. criminal. Is it our fault or is it the media's fault? I think it's – how did you find it? Well, to me – People are just not as interested in. Yeah, exactly. In, in, if you're they, interested, you'll they, find it. They'll click on the headline about the the the, mm-hmm. the guy who was chased out of the Boulder Shopping Center for wearing the better yeah. outfit. That they'll click on that more than they will a story about how slow the vaccine rollout is, even though the one yeah. doesn't affect them at all and is just purely mm-hmm. a sensational clickbait story, and the other one absolutely affects their place in the world. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, I suppose, uh, uh, yeah, I guess it says a human being, what, 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 what excites you, what doesn't excite you, you know? And Some the media. people will just like, okay, cool, J&J vaccination, ah, oh, well, it's government's problem. Well, when it yeah, comes to me, it comes this is to it. me. And, and now apparently, this I mean. The uh, thing is it speaks to my culture. <laughs> well, also, people, I suppose, um, the, the, you know, the media businesses, you can't blame either because they are looking for clicks and they realize. Yeah, they realize that what what people respond to is usually this this you know gossip yeah. and and nonsense. Um, so you can't blame them. They're just doing what their business requires in order to stay profitable. But it does it strikes me as odd that so many of us are interested in stories about you know this person being outraged or this person saying something politically incorrect when we we have real issues to deal with. Did you get an email from a, a Adrian Gore? Um, he sent out some email about two weeks ago saying, you know, that Discovery have got plans to help roll out these vaccines. And obviously, private enterprise plays an important role in South Africa because we know that government health care is not capable of delivering to everybody. They don't have the resources. Yeah. They don't have the ability to logistically mm-hmm. manage it properly. And um, despite all their, their you know, well-planned ideas in their heads, they suppose they're well-planned to get an NHI, a national health insurance up and running. It is still hugely dependent on companies like 
discovery. Do you think that the okay. private do you think the private sector will save us in this respect? You know, if if our government, right, I would say, okay, cool, these are the vaccines that we think we we approve for this country. Mm-hmm. You tell me RFB, you tell me Standard Bank, you tell me all these big banks won't say, okay, cool, we'll purchase it ourselves for our employees. Because mm-hmm. they know that what downtime costs them. Medical aid, do you think I mean like for example, say me, if somebody told me that costs like whatever grand to get a vaccine, and for you to get a vaccine as a medical aid guy, you 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 are you're maybe requested to vaccinate somebody in a more disadvantaged background than yourself. Sure. I'm more than happy to pay for a couple, you know. If 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 if, if government says okay, cool, these are the these are the approved vaccines. Yeah. Private sector help us and do what you can with your with your with your with your members in your in your because if I mean like I think maybe some of the thinking is the fact that. There's only certain people that are on private medical aid, right? So then they'll carry on with the inequality of this country. So only the rich folk will get vaccinated, the poor folk will not. But then it shouldn't be a problem because you've got 57 million to worry about. If, say, 10 million are taken off your, off your hands, right. you have to only worry about 47 million people. And if, if you put in a condition that because discovery and all these medical aids, nobody went to hospitals during the pandemic, I'm sure. So they're, they're sitting with a pile of cash, right? Um, maybe they'll be willing to do more than just their members. Well, Why not to do that? I mean, that's and then they'll that, that get the stuff done quicker. That makes so much sense. And we don't have to vaccinate everybody because we no. have. To, if once we've vaccinated the vulnerable people and the healthcare workers yeah. and all of those people on yeah. the first tier, and we start getting to people mm-hmm. in their, you know, in their sixties and then in their fifties, by then. We've developed sufficient immunity that the others don't even need yeah. those vaccines. So we're probably only looking Correct. at vaccinating maybe at an upper limit, something like 20 million people. And I think that's doable. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's, that's, that's why I said what I said initially is like governments should just not see themselves as the enabler, right? Then yeah. they, I mean, they shouldn't see themselves as a controller. They should see themselves as an enabler, not the controller, because we've learned Time immemorial, this place. Like, I mean, government tends to get in the way a lot of the time. You know, we, well, we do. We get in the it. way a lot of the time. And and I, I, as I said earlier, and I'm going to repeat it because it's 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 driving me crazy. It's such a waste of the judiciary's time to have to keep forcing yeah. them um, because some outside party has said you know what you're not doing your job just do your job this doesn't have to be complicated anyway moving on um talking about those stories that distract us that are actually meaningless and stupid tony leon wrote a book which is not meaningless and stupid it's a it's a good book and he wrote this book where he's um basically looked back on his career and he's he's giving us a, a a, a kind of a retrospective of his time in politics, but he's also talking about what he thinks the future will bring. And he speaks very mm-hmm. frankly in his book about the DA. He talks about Musi Maimane as an experiment gone wrong. And he talked yeah. about that in an interview with News 24. Of course, any time this is just, it, it boils down to race politics again, which is so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. He's basically saying... But this is South Africa, guys. That's the thing. This is South Africa. Yeah. This is how we were built, right? This is how we've been built for the while. In our heads, like you see a person before you... I mean, you see a race before you see a person. Yeah. It's sad. I mean, I don't care who tells you what. That's it's the South the Africa we live in. I could be walking across the road. Well, actually, let me just give you another example. I could be standing at a door at a bar with a bottle in my hand, and then somebody will ask me, think that I'm a bouncer. 
<laughs> you know? Well, you, like, like you, are, you, are a, you are a substantial man, Yao Pepra. I'll give you that. I mean, uh, you, I've been out in, in Cape Town with you and even in Joburg, and, and, and people will people give me much less trouble when you're around. <laughs> so that, that's yeah, that. was a bad example then, bad example then. But I could be in a shop, in a shopping mall, and somebody would be asking me for a different size. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I'm not even dressed like I've got no, shorts I on. I know what I you mean. Look like a yeah, it's, it's, yeah, very, it's, it's very, no, but it's very patronizing, and I agree with you. So, unfortunately, what's happened here is instead of people going, well, I think Tony's trying to say that Musi wasn't the right guy at the right time, and maybe there was a little bit of window dressing going on here, which I think people kind of said about Musi when he was the leader. The same people who are now complaining yeah. that this is racism were the very ones saying he was a you know, a a a, a model because I, I think they found like that he he was like a model in fashion magazines or whatever it was before then, and he was almost mm-hmm. groomed for the position. Of course, they were saying that then. Now they're on his side because it's Tony Leon saying this. But Tony Leon said in this interview that um, he thought that there were things they could have done better around making Musi Maimane the leader and maybe having managed that process better, which is something that Helen Ziller and Musi Maimane might agree with in times where a cool head prevails. Of course, because there's this element of perceived criticism now, Maimane has described the statement as dehumanizing and deeply offensive. The former DA leader said he left the party because his attempts to transform the organization failed. So on his way out of the building, he's setting fire to it. He says, I wanted the people... To really be that party that sits in the center, the reason that reason was rejected by the DA, and as you've opened up now, it's been a return to the fight back campaign and the consolidation of minoritism, which is not a project I'm willing to be engaged with, which is why I had to leave, my money said. That's not what he said when he left. This is now what he's saying. When he left, he was like, you know what, I'm, I'm finished here, this is, I've done my work, I feel like I've made a contribution, but it's time for me to move on and do different things. That's what he said then. So he's changing mm-hmm. this because he's hurt by Tony Leon's comments. Frankly, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm from radio, and what happens in radio is they put you on a show sometimes, and if it works, they, they pat themselves on the back as management, and they're like, oh, this was a great decision, and the ratings are good. And if it doesn't go well, then they say, well, you were crap. Um, yeah, get it. Useless. Right. So, and I've, I've maybe got a thicker skin than, than politicians, but you would expect someone yeah. like Musi Maimani, if he wants to be taken seriously, to be able to deal with these comments, to be able to say, you know what, and to be the bigger man, frankly, to say to Tony Leon, yeah. listen, dude, you were a leader of the, of the DA. You, you might have done some impressive things, but you didn't exactly leave it the way I would have left it, or I could have done this better or whatever. But th- this is now, we're seeing, almost like a family feud play out on, on national news. It's not going to be good for the DA in the long run. This is very bad for the party. Yeah. No matter who you support. Politics, bro. Dude, like I sit here and I just look at politics and politicians. And I just, like I, right now, if I could have it my way, I'd have like ANC nuked, DA nuked, <laughs> and then the best of both find each other and they form this super party for us. Because right now, like it's so sad for me because, for the longest time, the ANC has been like scoring gaping own goals, mm. shooting themselves. Bah, bah, bah. Mm. But there's no, there hasn't been a, an opposition party that has been able to 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 step up and say, "Okay, cool, this is the party for the people." 
right? There hasn't been a party mm. like that. I don't know. For me, as a, as a, as a voter, right? Yeah. I sit there and I think, who is the person that I actually want to vote for, not the person I don't want to vote for. You know, you and know. so it's 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 tough. And like, I mean, I I, I mean, I, I'm probably going to be be um, engaging in career limiting moves because I work in a, I work in an organisation which is currently funded by a de organisation. But this is mm. not by any stretch of the imagination that the, the, the views of my organisation is just no, my sure. views as well. No, so, yeah. The free citizen. Yeah, just me speaking to my yeah, me speaking to my mate Gary. <laughs> but it's it, it saddens me because they can, they're in such a good position to do more. I mean, they run a good province here, you know. Like for example, when was it? Last elections, there was a slogan that says "Registered to keep the ANC and the EFF out." That's not the right slogan for me because there's a lot of stuff that I know that they do. Like they, there's like there's like land reform stuff that they've been part of, which they should be putting out there, like mm. irrespective of this whole expropriation without compensation. There's some good stuff that they are doing, which they should be putting out there. And I suppose they might have it in, in, know, in, 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 on their websites and stuff, but it just doesn't come out to the fore. No, and, and this nonsense comes out. No? Of course, this is the problem. Um, and we, we discuss this almost on a weekly basis on the burning platform, the problem with opposition politics. But I've got to say, like, there's, there's something not right where the – former leaders of the DA are getting more mm-hmm. airtime than the current leader. So John Steenhuisen has to you do know. he has to do something to right the ship and to tell these former leaders whether it's Tony Leon or it's Musi Maimani, hey guys, listen, as the organization that you were both part of and helped to build, can I ask you now as its current head to please get out of the headlines and allow us to do some positive stuff. And if he doesn't do that then he's not a leader. Yeah, I mean I, I, mean, I yeah, I yeah, I don't like. I don't honestly don't have any clue what happens in the party at all. I mean, I just work in a little agency that is funded well, can, by money that comes from them. But can we can we turn yeah. our attention to something a little less local, just for for a moment? A lot of people are very sure. concerned about Mozambique, and um, the mm. Mozambican government is really derelict. They don't they don't really know what to do. They don't have any any infrastructure or, 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 or income to speak of. It's a country that's been mismanaged into the ground in some ways. It's probably one of the worst examples in Africa. And it's embarrassing that in 2021 we still have to have the kinds of stories that we used to see in the 1970s and 80s from these failed regimes. But honestly, Mozambique is in this ugly situation, and like it or not, it will become our problem if we don't do something. Mozambique's president on Wednesday said that ISIS-linked insurgents had been forced out of Palma a key northern town that rebels hit in a brazen raid last month, which is good news. Um, it's the first substantive public comment on the attack. The president, Philippe Nussi, said that the terrorists have been chased from Palma, but added, we do not declare victory because we are continually fighting terrorism. Now, I've spoken to um, people who are much more in the know than I am, people like Jean-Jacques Cornish, who we have on the show regularly, who who reads everything that he can about what's going on in Africa and has people in various parts of the continent that give him information firsthand. He says to me that the the real concern here is that we don't have an AU force that can go and help, you know, uh, speed along the, the efforts of the Mozambican Defense Force, if there even is such a thing. And South Africa's, uh, you know, SANDF is hardly well positioned to do this too. I mean, we couldn't even help in Lesotho when we went in there disastrously a few years ago. So who will come to our aid? Because we're always looking for African solutions to African problems, as Tabo Mbeki used to say. But in this case, case, I don't know that we have 
any solution at hand? No, I, I don't believe that either. But I also, I mean, you mentioned the AU, and with respect, I I don't know. It's similar to me. It's, it's similar to the UN to me. You know, it's mm. like a it's like a toothless random organization. Yeah, I wanted to say that, but I was like, mm. you know, <laughs> it's 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 not the it's. I mean, like if I was dying, I wouldn't be re- re- relying on the AU to come and save me. To be honest, so I will have to once again re- rely on the G seven to come. One of them, one of the big companies. And apparently, I read somewhere that Russia is actually the com- country that's actually helping them. I think last year or something, we were warned as South Africa to, to mind our own business by the rebels. That's and, right. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard as a leader, <laughs> especially if I know what my SNDF capability is, to go and look for other problems <laughs> when I've got my own problems to worry about here. So it's hard for me to fault the South African government on this one, but it's an indictment of, on us as, 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 as Africans in an African union, because what, what does this thing stand for? How... how how are we going to rely on the likes of America who um, probably are not interested? No, they might be interested because there's oil out there. Yeah, they might well, be interested. I'll tell you what, oil is not enough to have kept Total in there because the French energy giant Total has just pulled out enough. all its stuff from their their liquid natural gas yeah. plant. Um, and, and they've said... That's the biggest, that was the biggest infrastructure project in the continent, I think. It was, and now it is no more. And they've decided, sorry, yeah. guys, it's too hot here. We, we're not going to stick around. Mm. Now, that's very bad news. Yeah, it is. So, you know, is, man, once, once the financial imperatives, once the reasons to go in there and make profit aren't even enough to persuade people to man up and to arm up and to, and to go to whatever expense you need. In other words, the amount of money they could make was not worth the expense of keeping yeah, people life. safe. That's a hell yeah. of a thing. That's a major. That's a that's a, an admission of defeat. Like very few. But I mean, like for me, like I I want to take it one step one step one step further and ask, what is actually leading to this? What is what is what is causing these terrorists to actually rise up in Mozambique? What what is going on? You know why? Yeah, why now? How do we get to the roots of that problem and see how we can solve that, right? Mm. Because I'm trying to figure out what, like, where did this all come from, and then how do we fix that? Well, I mean, th- this is the whole question: Is it really um, a, a religious ideology that's being forwarded by, you know, gunpoint, uh, kind of conversion at gunpoint, um, or is it, is it really a, a, a means of grabbing hold of resources? for an organization that has political ambitions rather than religious ones. Mm. We don't know. But if we take ISIS at their word, if we take uh, Boko Haram in the west of Africa and we take Al-Shabaab on the east coast as being honest interlocutors, then they're saying it's a a faith thing. Um, It's interesting that as a faith, uh, as as an organization of conversion, let's put it that way in the most kid glove terms possible, as a jihadi organization, if you want to be a little more mm-hmm. hardcore. Um, these guys seem to curiously focus their attention on places that can make them money, which should tell us what their real intention is, even yeah, if what you know they're what I'm saying. saying. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah that's exactly. Uh, like, if you look at where Boko Haram is there in the Delta, if you look at right. on the East Coast on the Horn, and then, yeah, wh- like of all the places in, in Mozambique, why, where the gas fields are. And, and they're coming further so, and further south. So what's making people nervous, obviously, mm-hmm. is that they're on our doorstep now. Um, one yeah. qu- we've got time for one last thing, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, Yao. Um, we haven't talked American mm-hmm. politics for a little while because, you know, yeah. old, old man Joe has got everybody placated and feeling like they're, you know, they're under the, 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 the regime of a, 
a, a charming but slightly doddery old man who keeps going, come on, man, but doesn't really have a whole lot to say. And when he does find himself in the in, in <laughs> you don't like so much, do you? Well, I just I think he's a bit of a he's he's a he's an empty vessel. To be perfectly honest, I don't mm-hmm. think Joe knows what's going on around him. I think there are other people who are manipulating things from behind the scenes, uh, forwarding a, a quite radical agenda, and just based. Forget about all the ideological stuff that is or isn't important, depending on your point of view. I'm concerned that America is spending some ten trillion by the end of of the last bill that was signed. Ten trillion dollars. And they're using COVID as the excuse to do this. And they're saying there's a bit of infrastructure, but there's a lot of pork in this as well. There's a huge amount of mm-hmm. interest group, lobbying group um, action going on. There are a lot of very strange agendas that are being played with. $10 trillion, Yao, as someone who has to manage money, we're, we're now in, in you know, cloud cuckoo land when it comes to There is no way that you can explain trillion to a child. It's so much yeah. money. It's more money than yeah. has ever been in circulation in the world at any one time. And for, mm-hmm. the, for the U.S. government to be doing this is hugely irresponsible. We know that inflation is going to follow. We know that as a, as a, a sensible monetary policy decision, injecting this kind of made-up money into, the, into the, the world economy, it may have short-term benefits, but in the long run, what you're doing is you're saddling your children and your children's children with enormous amounts of debt, and it's irresponsible for governments to be doing this. Yeah, um, so I was watching John Oliver's show the other day, right, and he was talking about more or less the same thing, and you get the narrative that that's the, 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 the Republicans pushed is similar to what you just said now in terms of saddling your children, but his his counsel was that if the debt is good debt, like if it's debt that will will re- result in economic growth, it might not be the worst thing for them to do, right? Um, I don't know the nuances. I don't know what is actually in the ten trillion package, but my understanding is that the government before had the biggest deficits to date. You know, the previous regime has had one of the biggest well, deficits to date. It's about to get ten. Um, tri- it's about to get ten trillion. Yeah, and bigger. it's about to. So what do you do when you're in yeah, a hole? And, you, you, when you're in a hole, you keep on digging. That's that's what you're saying. No, no, of course. But like, okay, so we want we wanted our government to throw more money at this whole COVID recovery thing, right? Mm-hmm. They've got the money to print to do this thing. It's like you damned you do if you damned if you don't. I mean, I yeah. know that that that, that there, there will be inflation and, and whatever down. But I'm hoping that they're smart enough I to don't, actually. I don't believe that there's. I don't believe there's good debt and bad debt. You know, sometimes you have to spend. Sometimes you have to spend. I mean, people will say that you, you yeah. know, having a bond on your house, that's good debt, but bad debt is owing mm-hmm. on your credit cards, for example. Yeah. I, I don't know that for America, just because they are the world's biggest economy at the moment. And I mean, I heard Alexandria mm-hmm. Ocasio-Cortez say something like, well, we're the biggest economy. We can find $10 trillion. This is coming from someone who's never run a business, someone who really does not know how to manage money at all. I mean, she was a bar lady before this, uh, and I'm not. I'm, yeah. That's not any kind of. I'm not making a slight against bar ladies. And many of them have been mm-hmm. very kind to me over the years. But I will say that Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, to say that ten trillion is not a big deal, is ridiculous. That's a huge deal. And they're spending. They're not spending. You know, governments don't make money. Yeah, they they have to. They have to yeah. use. They have to use a, a proportion of 
the money that the people in that country are generating through creating value, through trade with each other. And for yeah. them, to them, to sign off a $10 trillion check to me is just a sign that America is going to hit the skids very, very soon and go into terrible decline. And remember when they catch a cold, we all get very, very sick. Yeah, but then in that same vein, if they're circulating $10 trillion, some of it might come our way, right? So our exporters might benefit, you know? There's money in the system for us to, to, to fuel our economic recovery too, right? I mean, I, I don't, like right now, I don't have a crystal ball to see how this is going to look in the future. Like people say that this is bad and whatever else have you, but you never know what, what it results. If they build a whole lot of infrastructure, trains, uh, train lines that they need to fix, yeah, the roads, network and stuff, that's, it, it might end up being positive for the children going down the line. Know. You know? Who knows? It seems but to I'm, me, I'm, I'm, if, 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 you, if you're going to say... We've got our own problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know, but yeah, yeah. if you're going to say it might be good for their children and, and you know building railways like it's 1897 is going to give America a second try at an industrial revolution. To me, if you're going to make those kinds of, of gambles, don't do it with $10 trillion. Mm-hmm. Do it with a couple of billion dollars okay. if you have to, you know? Yeah. It's, it's yeah. madness. Yeah, yeah. And all they, they're, they're mm. trying to do is artificially stimulate things. The economy is already yeah. recovering. America doesn't actually yeah. need this. The, the economy is coming back, and at record numbers in terms of, of what the economists mm. in the U.S. are saying, COVID is pretty much a thing of the past, so that's not an excuse anymore. They, they're, just, they're on a spending spree, and it's outrageous. Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going to have to leave yeah, it there. I, I, I appreciate you being uh, on the show this morning. Thank you. So I know you only joined so that you could see Pumi, and she's uh, unfortunately been waylaid this morning. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much, Yao Pepra. It's always good to have you on. And thanks for – Always a good chat, bro. Thanks for a good conversation. If you would like to suggest anything for the Burning Platform, please do Gareth at cliffcentral.com. And, um, and Yao will probably join us at some date in the future with some more analysis and conversation. Thanks so much, Yao. Good to see you. Cliffcentral.com.